you see, the thing is that I don't feel old, and I think we can all agree that given the right amount of alcohol, distance, light, and macular degeneration, I still look pretty fine. <laughs> but occasionally, I am confronted with the yawning gap that still exists between me and, well, people that I don't think of as that much younger than me. For example, last weekend, when I was chatting to a friend of mine, I made a casual reference to Bo Derrick. And he looked at me totally blankly and said, you wanted to be the big bloke who used to present nationwide? <laughs> now, there are other times I'll be telling, say, the current Mr. Bliss, who's somewhat younger than I, and, you know, some story from my childhood or something, or more worryingly, even from my college days. And I can see him sort of looking at me and thinking how quaint and old-timey it sounds. But one of the subjects that inevitably makes me feel like Laura Ingalls Wilder when talking to millennials is sex. Because, you see, in common with most people from my generation, the mysteries of sex and sexuality were teasingly, slowly revealed to me over the years, decades, epochs even. You know, the mechanics, the possibilities, the variety, the pitfalls, the maneuvers, you know, all drip-fed to me through rumor and nudges and overheard snippets, through Jilly Cooper novels and Richard Gere movies, through trial and error, embarrassed fumbles, giggling mistakes, and more experienced lovers and happy accidents. And each new discovery was another exquisitely exciting step on a magical mystery tour that even now I am occasionally surprised and delighted <laughs> to find out that it hasn't quite run out of track. But my younger friends just turned on their modems at home while their parents were out, and the internet poured every possible, and some you'd think impossible, position and productivity <laughs> in full-color surround sound, anatomically correct pornographic detail into their teenage laps in one huge, lubricated, terrifying, <laughs> exciting, shameless, overwhelming data dump. Now, call me old-fashioned, but I'm glad that I got the mystery tour. My burgeoning teen sexuality was just too confusing and too alien to deal with properly at school, so for the most part, I just ignored it. Of course, as I went through my teenage years, I started to suspect that I might be gay, but that was still such an alien concept, you know, so foreign, so Protestant, so <laughs> removed from my actual experience that I mostly ignored these uncomfortable suspicions. I had never met, or even seen, to be sure, a real actual bona fide homosexual. So the idea that I might actually be one was, well, almost impossible to process. You might as well have wondered if I were a unicorn. <laughs> you know, I wasn't actually totally sure that gays really actually existed, you know, invented to be the subject of schoolyard jokes and played for smutty laughs on sitcoms, because there were no gays in my world. There was no hairdresser with trendy tattoos in my local mother's salon. There was no lesbian couple breeding dogs on my vet father's client list. There was no Graham Norton being casually gay on the telly, no Will Young singing about boyfriends on the radio, no Anna Nolan being a lesbian nun on Big Brother. You know, even my toothy, tanned, big-haired, and short-shorted George Michael was straight at the time. <laughs> there was only the pathetic Mr. Humphreys, swishing and flapping his way through Grace Brothers' department store, leaving a trail of canned laughter in his wake. There were, of course, gays to be seen on the TV, even in my youth and in magazines, but they either didn't identify themselves as gay at the time, or we simply didn't recognize them as such. You know, when the village people appeared on the telly in the 1970s, the boys of Ballinrobe's Christian Brothers in National School just thought that they were five 
fun guys who'd like to dress up and you know, be creative. You know, we simply had no frame of reference for a leather queen. And when Boy George first appeared on Top of the Pops, I remember so clearly the next day was all we could talk about, but the big discussion was all whether he was a boy or a girl. The idea that he might simply have been a flaming queen never entered our minds. Now that may seem incredible now, you know, that we didn't just assume that Larry Grayson or Kenny Everett or Vincent Hanley were gay, but they were not casually referring to hot guys on chat shows or discussing husbands in the TV guide. And you know, what did an 11-year-old boy in Ballinrobe, County Mayo, know about you know, mustaches or check shirts or faded jeans or any of the other telltale signs of 70s and 80s urban homosexuality? Absolutely nothing. And it was actually in my parents' library that I first confirmed the existence of gay men. Because among the books, I discovered a yellow-paged, dog-eared copy of The Naked Ape by zoologist Desmond Morris. Now, Morris's book was one of the very first you know, sort of popular science books you know, to look at humans as animals and compare them to other animals. And like any curious you know, boy of my age would, I skipped all the boring parts and went straight to the chapter on sexuality. And within that chapter, there was a subsection on homosexuality. And it was a revelation to pubescent me, you know, because Morris, he calmly and very matter-of-factly described what homosexuals were and what they did. Now, there was some dodgy 1960s Freudian comments on what might make homosexuality in males, you know, domineering mothers and weak fathers and all that nonsense. But other than that, he mostly just presented the facts. No opinion, just facts. And for the first time ever, not only did I have solid proof that gay people existed, but more thrillingly at the time, for the first time ever, there was someone, an obviously smart and respected man, a doctor even, who wasn't laughing at homosexuals or judging them or denouncing them. He was simply describing them. In fact, he went so far as to specifically say that from a detached zoological perspective, there was nothing to judge, and that in some particular situations, it could even be argued that homosexuality was biologically moral. And that thrilled me. And I read it over and over and over again, and I read it sexually excited and intellectually giddy, because here I was, um, you know, what I was, reflected back at me you know, in black and yellowed white for the very first time. And it was so thrilling, it was actually terrifying, so terrifying that I would slam the book shut and shove it back under my bed and try to forget all about it till you know, the next time I crawled in under the bed to get it again with my heart in my homosexual mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um.